You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. Change always has an adjustment period uh, where people just don't know how you know, protect, to protect themselves. And, and in that respect, we're in that adjustment period. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the CyberWire's Hacking Humans podcast, where each week we look behind the social engineering scams, the phishing schemes, and criminal exploits that are making headlines and taking a heavy toll on organizations around the world. I'm Dave Bittner from the CyberWire, and joining me is Joe Kerrigan from Johns Hopkins University Information Security Institute. Hello, Joe. Hi, Dave. We've got interesting stories to share this week, and later in the show, my conversation with Gil Friedrich from Avanon. We're going to be talking about how collaboration platforms like Microsoft Teams, Slack, and others have opened up a new gateway to ransomware attacks. All right, Joe, we've got some good stories this week, but before we do, you've got a, a little uh, tale you want to share with us today. What, what do you got for us? I do, Dave. I was finally targeted by something. Um, <laughs> and I'm okay, so that's, happy that's about a it. a dubious distinction. All right, go on. So actually, the way this, uh, this scam started was I was flipping through my news feed on my Android phone, mm-hmm. and there was an ad, uh, a Google ad, for Yeti coolers. Now, for international people, I don't know if Yeti sells internationally, but Yeti is this, uh, they make incredibly good coolers. These things have really low thermal transfer rates. Okay. Right? They, they impede entropy like nobody's business. <laughs> well, um, you, you had me at entropy, Joe. Right. Yeah. Well, when you see the price, however, <clears throat> okay, <laughs> these things are not cheap yeah. uh, because they're, they're really high quality. I actually have a Yeti cup, mm-hmm. right, that will... Stay full of ice overnight. Oh, wow. It, it's amazing. Yeah. Uh, and I was looking through the ads, and this ad comes up, buy this nice big Yeti cooler for like 40 bucks. Hmm. I'm like, my cup was 40 bucks. Oh. Uh, you know, I, I, this seems like a scam. So sure enough, I look at it, and uh, the link takes me to some fake Yeti store hmm. that is run by some, you know, some gobbledygook URL. Right. And it's just, sitting there on the web, and I actually uh, got in touch with Yeti. Uh, the only way, unfortunately, the only way I could do it was through their customer portal. Hmm. Uh, but they responded on a Saturday, hmm. which was amazing. Hmm. Uh, and they said, hey, thanks for letting us know about this. This is not our site. You always go to yeti.com. For, I know this, right? Yeah. Uh, they don't yeah. know who they're talking to, of course. Right, right. <laughs> do you know who I am? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but the customer service rep said, we'll pass this on to our brand protection team. And by Monday, that site was gone. Oh, wow. So uh, I don't know if Yeti had a hand in that or uh, or what, but the site is gone and it's not out there scamming people. And the, the ad is probably not running anymore either. And the thing that tipped you off was the prices were too good to be true. The prices were way too good to be true. Okay. Exactly. All right. Good. All right. Well, why don't we move right into your story then? What do you have for us? Uh, Dave, my story this week comes from a listener named Matt who sent this in actually as a catch of the day, mm. but I thought it merited more than that. It's, uh, I think there's a lot of information in this, uh, and it's more than a catch of the day. I think it's a story. Okay. He says, back in May, he started a new position as a technology coordinator at an educational cooperative, and the job requires him to commute every day, so he's been listening to our podcast, mm. which is great. And yeah. he's going through at about 1.5 to 1.7 speed. <laughs> so maybe you and yeah. I should speak very slowly. So. You know, I'll share a quick aside with that. When I meet people in person, sometimes if I go to a conference or something, so many people listen to this show and the CyberWire at faster than real time. Right. When they talk to them in person, 
they will, it is not uncommon for me to have people say that I sound strange talking so slowly <laughs> in my actual day to day speed. But I digress. Go right. on. Yeah. <laughs> I'm kind of a fast talker. I wonder if that uh, makes me unintelligible at higher speeds. Hmm. Like uh, a chipmunk. I, yeah. I don't know. Uh, he says that Matt says there are some times he's been listening to our show and he's wondering how people could fall for things. But this morning he was going through his email. And he came across the email below. And as soon as he read through it, he knew that it was a scam. But thinking for a few minutes, he started second-guessing himself. Hmm. Maybe this isn't a scam, right? Uh, but it is a scam. It's a, a type of phishing scam. He did a little digging and found a, uh, an article about it. And we'll talk about that in a minute. But here is the text of the email. Hmm, okay. It says, Dear CEO, it's very urgent. Please transfer this email to your CEO. If this email affects you, we are very sorry. Please ignore this email. Thanks. Hmm. I, and that's obviously some bad English right there yeah. because they want your attention. Right. Uh, but then it goes on. It says, we are a network service company, which is the domain name registration center in China. We received an application from WeWa Limited on August 23rd, 2001. They wanted to register this domain, and it's uh, Matt's domain, mm -hmm. as their internet keyword and the same domain .cn .com.cn, .net.cn, and .org.cn. So they wanted to register all these domain names uh, that happen to have before them as whatever Matt's uh, organization is. I'm not going to say it here on, on the air. Mm -hmm. um, these are all Chinese domain names, but after checking, we found that this domain conflicts with your company in order to deal with this matter better. So we send you email and confirm whether this company is your distributor or business in China or not. Hmm. Best regards. Mike Zhang. Hmm. So this is a an email that is being sent into organizations. So let's say you and I have do, joeanddave.com. Right? right. These guys would send an email to us going, pass this on to your CEO. Someone's trying to register joeanddave.cn, joeanddave.com.cn, right. all these other domain names. That would get my attention. It would get your attention, wouldn't yeah. it? Yeah. Um, but there's an article here from Hinshaw Law that talks about guarding against Chinese domain email scams. Hmm. And this is what this is. So these guys are trying to uh, essentially elicit some kind of fee out of you mm. by sending you a, an email saying that somebody's going to register the domain in China as your company. Mm. But for the low, low price of whatever, either we'll register for it first or we'll keep this from happening, I suppose. Yeah, I'm yeah, guessing. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Right. Wow. Okay. Yeah, that's interesting, and and I yeah this I mean I would give this a second look. Yeah, as our as our uh, our listener did. Yeah, it's absolutely something that I can see people uh, getting taken in by, mm -hmm. especially if you're worried about like brand protection. Yeah, and and your name, like like in our earlier Yeti story anecdote that I had. Uh, yeah, truth be known, this may not even be coming out of China. Yeah, right? it's possible. It, sure, it could be coming out of some third party country, or it you know it could just be some other scam. But it, it, I and I don't know where it's coming from. Yeah. Um, you know, and I didn't do the research on the email headers and Matt didn't actually send those along. So I couldn't get the opportunity to do it, but it's an interesting story. And I just wanted to pass it on to our listeners because it is a scam and it is something that, as you and I have both said, would get our attention. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I dealt with something like, I mean, the, I dealt with the real world version of this, uh, years ago, uh, over a decade ago. Um, where a previous company I was with, you know, we had the .com registered here in the United States. Right. 
and we had a trademark on the company name and all all that sort of stuff, all the stuff you do here to register your properly register your company name. And someone in the UK spun up a company with the same name. Really? And they had the .uk address. Yeah, .co.uk. And they were in the same sort of business that we were in, which the domain name lent itself to. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, it was a, sort of a sticky situation where you say, well, what do I, is there anything I can do about this? It, what, um, what was the resolution? Uh, didn't do anything about it. There really yeah. wasn't, it wasn't worth... Uh, you know, they weren't coming after our customers or anything like that. You know, they were they were an ocean away. Right. Um, so mostly it was a nuisance. Yeah. Um, but how long ago was that? Decades? Probably about 15 years. Yeah. International business is much different than it is now. That's true. It was, it's changed a lot, I should say. Yeah, there. that's but true. As I that's stumble true. over my words here. And I, you know, I suppose the first step would have been to send them a nasty gram. But what are you going to do with a, yeah. an international thing like that? You know, the the long arm of the law doesn't necessarily reach across the Atlantic in a case like this. No, so, it doesn't. Yeah, interesting. But I guess the reason I tell that story is that, yeah, that got my attention. Right. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and this would get my attention as well. So uh, I think the broken English is a is a red flag here. Um, Although, uh, in this case, it does make sense that it would be broken English, right? Because it, yeah, it does. It's, it's under the auspices of coming from a Chinese source. Right. So, this is somebody who's for whom there's a great chance that English is not their first language. Yeah, that's true. All right. Well, uh, thanks to our listener for sending that in. That Thank is an interesting story here. And we'll have a link to uh, that article that describes this scam in the show notes. From Hinshaw Law. Yeah. My story this week uh, comes from the folks uh, over at Protocol. Uh, and uh, it's an article uh, written by Biz Carson, and it's titled The FBI's Warning to Silicon Valley, China and Russia Are Trying to Turn Your Employees into Spies. Hmm. Um, and this is an interesting article about, uh, you know, a risk that uh, particularly companies in tech deal with um, because they have – a lot of folks who work for them who are from overseas. So, right. you know, the United States is a destination, as you well know, <laughs> being at Hopkins, right. uh, the United States is a destination for people from all over the world to come to get a good education. And a lot of those people stay. Right. Uh, and they seek out jobs here and they are, they're fine employees. Right. And so companies, uh, the tech com- companies, uh, they are in demand uh, because uh, they tend to be well-educated, good workers, uh, a good uh, incentive to be here and all those kinds of things. Additionally, we have a shortage of tech workers here in this country, and we even have a visa called the H-1B visa, mm-hmm. which lets us bring in tech workers if we can't uh, from from foreign soil. They can get a visa to come work for us. Right. So this uh, article points out that the FBI uh, is on top of this because they Mm -hmm. have had uh, incidences where uh, China, for example, and we'll just use China as our example here, but there are other nations who do this as well. Mm -hmm. uh, They contact folks who are working here and try to influence them to become spies for their homeland. Um, and an interesting part of the article here, they say there are four main vulnerabilities uh, that they look out for. Uh, someone being a citizen of an autocracy, mm-hmm. China, China in this case, yep. uh, doing business with one, uh, having assets in the country, or having family members or employees living or working in the autocracy. But they say that it's the family vulnerability in particular 
that they see exploited over and over again. Right. And I think that's the the part that really uh, you know resonates with this show and and our listeners is if you can use the influence of your family members back home, uh, boy, that is a powerful influence over people. Uh, and particularly when you're dealing with something like an autocracy where, where they could say, um, listen, if you do what we want you to do here, good things will happen for your family. Right. And if you don't do what we want you to do, yeah. maybe the, bad things will happen to your family. Right. Um, they say that, you know, it's, it's not HR's job to uh, assume that everyone is a spy. Right. And they're really overt here is saying that there is a hazard here, uh, that you don't want people to have anti-Chinese or anti-Russian resentment. We don't want to be looking at everyone who's from a different country and saying, Ooh, they're probably spies. You know, that, that doesn't do us any good either. And we don't want any prejudice, uh, against these ethnic groups just because of a fear of this. Right. Um, but it is something, at the same time, it is something to keep an eye on. Uh, it's a concern. It's something that the FBI is concerned about. And um, if you have a concern, uh, something to alert the FBI about if you think uh, perhaps there's something that's going on. You should, you should, every organization should have things in place to protect against having data exfiltrated, for right. example. Making sure that stuff isn't going overseas um, but, uh, I don't know. I, I, I guess part of the, well, the issue I'm having with this is how do you balance, uh, the fact that this sort of thing is going on with the fact that you don't want to out of hand, just put a target on your Chinese or Russian employees right. who may very well, who most likely are very up and up good people who sure. aren't spying for, for yeah. their countries. So do you put extra uh, vigilance in place when it comes to those people or do you put broad systems for I, everyone? I think you could put broad systems for everyone. I, I don't think it's right to target people uh, yeah. based on based on their country of origin. I mean, I, we actually have laws against that in this, in this country. Right. Um, but I'm not an expert in employee law, so I don't know what, what the implications are. But uh, there is something else that we should be aware of, and that is that these are not the only – only folks out there who are, who are subjected to this kind of uh, this kind of risk, or who who, who manifest this kind of risk, rather, mm-hmm. uh, just because they have family in an autocracy doesn't mean that uh, somebody who was born and raised in America isn't hasn't been compromised by another competitor or something right, like that. Right. Yeah. So yeah. it's it's wise to uh, to have to have some kind of data loss prevention system, or uh, I don't know what that would look like, but. If I was going to do that, I, I wouldn't just do it on my employees who were citizens of these countries or who had family back in these countries. I'd mm-hmm. be doing it for everybody because there's more than just that risk. Yeah, yeah. And, and the, the FBI points out the, in this article, uh, the uh, one of the uh, uh, folks from the FBI says, so much of this is not just people who steal because they want to steal technology. A very, very large chunk of it is normal human beings who do not want to steal – who are just trying to protect their families and mm-hmm. have to steal in order to protect their families. Yeah. And that's sort of a sad truth of this, I suppose. It is. It's a terribly sad truth. Yeah. Yeah. So interesting article. There's a lot more details to that. We'll have a link to that uh, from uh, Protocol. Uh, as I said, we'll have a link to that in the show notes. All right, Joe, it's time to move on to our catch of the day. Dave, our catch of the day comes from a listener named Ian. 
and he sent us this tiny little gem. The subject line is, hello from Afghanistan. Hmm. And it comes from a Gmail address. Uh, you want to go ahead and read this one? Sure. Attention, Sir Ma. I-, I want to bring to your attention a sensitive, confidential business proposal. My name is Salah Mohammed, a resident of Afghanistan whose country was currently taken over by the leadership of the Taliban after President Ashraf Ghani managed to escape the rebel forces. The embattled Afghan President Ashraf Ghani fed the country on helicopter full of cash. You can read the details in this link. Consequently, senior customs officer discover about $30 million in cash, which was part of the money left behind at the presidential wing of the airport. And the funds have been moved diplomatically through Pakistan to the United Arab Emirates. Presently, we are looking for a reliable person who can further receive the funds before the Taliban government commences investigation on the funds. The funds are secured for now, hence our decision to further move the funds to your country through you. And for your cooperation in this venture, we will give you 15% of the total amount that will be moved through you to your country. Upon your acceptance of this proposal, further details will be given to you. Thank you. Yours sincerely, Salah Muhammad. So these guys have taken advantage of a news story Mm. where uh, the Afghan president did flee the country in vehicles full of cash. Right. Um, (laughs) As you do. Right. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, and they're uh, they're trying to capitalize. Oh, look! He had so much money. He left behind thirty million dollars. Right. And uh, you can get away with uh, what's fifteen? I should be able to do this math in my head. It's a lot. Yeah, Doesn't it's matter. A, it's, it's a, a lot, lot of money. <laughs> it's real money, Joe. Yeah, it's, it's more than a million dollars or three million dollars. Yeah, it's four point five million dollars, Dave. There, <laughs> there you I just go. did it in my head. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> See, it's it's what you get for being at Hopkins, right? Just those brainiacs rub off on you, don't That's they, Joe? Right. Yeah. They do. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, it's a good catch of the day, and we appreciate uh, our listener for sending that in. We would love to. We would love to hear from you. If you have a catch of the day, you can send it to hackinghumans at thecyberwire.com. All right, Joe, I uh, recently had the pleasure of speaking with Gil Friedrich. He's from a company called Avanon. And uh, we were discussing how some uh, bad actors are taking advantage of some of the uh, common messaging apps that organizations use to communicate internally uh, to fraudulently make their way in and uh, do the things they want to do. Here's my conversation with Gil Friedrich. We always ask ourselves the question of, you know, why now? Why this... uh proliferation of attacks. You you watch CNN or you read the New York Times and all of a sudden cybercrime gets, uh, you know, gets headlines, I want to say, almost every day, definitely every week. So definitely COVID accelerated uh, digitization. People are more vulnerable. I think people are also home, so maybe a little, you know, a little off guard. Uh, but then the key thing is, as you mentioned, it's we just use those new platforms more. We don't know how to protect ourselves. Email still a huge problem, but I think people have their email training, etc. But Teams, you know, it was just introduced to enterprise, and the question of how to protect it is still very, very new. So I, I think that's part of it. The change always has an adjustment period uh, where people just don't know how, you know, protect to protect themselves. And, and in that respect, we're in that adjustment period. How much of this is, you know, when you think about the platforms like Microsoft Teams, like Slack, you know, some of these these collaboration tools, 
I think for a lot of folks, they think to themselves, well, this is something that was provided to me by my work. So it must have been vetted. It must be secure. There must be things that are going on behind the scenes that make sure, that, that keep me out of trouble. Do you think that's part of the mindset that, that's problematic here? I think it's part of it. There's an assumption that, unlike email, where anyone on the planet can send an email to any one of your employees, those platforms are a little more closed. So it's by invite, even if it's outside of your organization, uh, you know, there's some previous, uh, uh, you know, vetting of whoever can communicate with your team. So people put more trust in it. And then we really see that with behavior of users. There's also an assumption that... Uh, it's not actually monitored by the organization. So I think employees know that their employer, you know, archives, tracks every email they send. They behave in teams as if they're, you know, chatting on WhatsApp with their friends. Uh, very loose, hmm. sending anything, even sensitive information, trusting anything, assuming there is no attack on it. So, so that's part of it. There's that assumption and the lack of education that, hey, you know, this, this might be phishing or might be similar to phishing, you know, from email. Don't trust everything you read. What are you and, and your colleagues seeing in terms of people taking advantage of these platforms? How are the bad actors getting into them and doing the things they want to do? So most commonly, and this is because when you think about Microsoft 365, it's one account to all their apps. The initial break-in will be done through email. And then the spreading uh, will be done through another platform. It could be Teams, it could be OneDrive or SharePoint. And by doing this, you know, hackers are able to bypass everything done for email security, but they're also able to uh, propagate through a platform that just uh, has more trust uh, by the recipient. Yeah, that, that's interesting. Yeah, so come in via email and then spread in Teams. That's, that's something we see pretty commonly done by hackers. Yeah, it's it's sort of a, a, I don't know, a vulnerability that I hadn't really considered. I mean, it makes total sense that, you know, if you're using so many of these different tools within the platform and, and it's all, the keys to all of them come through your email address, that's a that could be a pretty broad, uh, broad spectrum of vulnerability, be it, whether it's Microsoft Teams. I mean, I, I suspect you have the same thing over on the Google side. Uh, true. Yeah, it could be... Uh... Uh, Google Drive for sure. We have a statistics that I think uh, about 3% of links to uh, to Google Drive in organizations were actually malicious. So, you know, just by itself, the fact it's a link to a Google Drive by itself was an indicator for our AI to say, something's fishing here, you know, pay attention. So what are your recommendations for folks to protect themselves against this? Is it, is it the standard digital hygiene type things, or are there any specific things people should have awareness of? Excellent question. So I think um, always in these attacks, at a high level, there are, you know, there are two layers to think about. One of them is you know, the, the platform, the machines, whatever you can do automatically. And the other one is the human and I think the very first step for organization is to acknowledge that, uh, you know, they open the line of communication. They need to spend some time answering the question of, you know, what's the threat? What kind of configuration am I going to allow? Am I going to allow, you know, just internal organization uh, communication or am I going to open it with the outside, etc.? Once they figure out the uh, configuration that is right to them, um, 
you know, then comes the question of what tools am I going to use? Am I going to use something that's going to scan and make sure there's no malware, there's no phishing links, there's no account takeover, etc. And at the same time, am I going to train my users? The, we, we used the cartoon a while back where it was basically someone on the phone saying, what, to email this to you? I'll get fired. Let me slack it to you. So, to, you know, to basically, <laughs> it's almost always enough to tell the employee, listen, you know, this is an enterprise environment. We're monitoring this. Uh, for better or worse, if you see something, say something. Those kind of things that just tell them, you know, it's not the Wild West. You need to uh, protect yourself and we'll help you. But you, the user, you're also a layer of security here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that the users bear a, a sense of responsibility the same way that if they... You know, that they have to, I don't know, keep strangers from walking in the front door of the building, right? Exactly. And they are well aware that, you know, not every link is a link and not every email that looks like it came from the CFO is the CFO. They just need that level of awareness when it comes to other lines of communication. All right, Joe, what do you think? Very interesting stuff, Dave. Uh, COVID definitely accelerated our movement to these other messaging apps, but uh, it was going to happen eventually. We were were going to be, Mm. you know, I was already actually into Slack and we already had teams set up, although I hadn't used them nearly as much as I have here. And actually what I've used the most is Zoom, not really Slack. I think my Slack usage is probably around the same. Um, Hmm. I'm not really a big fan of Slack. Um, You know, maybe it's just because I haven't been using it as much as I like uh, yeah, but I'm I'm just not a big fan. I'd rather talk to somebody than sit there and type to them. Um, yeah, there is a change with an adjustment period, but a, we've had a lot of changes in such a short time, and I think that's really a big part of the issue, right? Like mm. we we were going, you know, if if we were going to be more organic in our changing, it would have been slower. You know, we would have gone from a rollout from one from just email to Slack maybe over a couple of years. But no, we didn't do that. We went into that new environment in like a month, right? Uh, and I, right. Think, I think that that is a big part of the issue. So these platforms, we tend to think of them as a little more closed, and there is this assumption of security. So a phishing email that harvests credentials, and those credentials are then used to access, let's say, Teams, because... Gil was exactly right. If I can if I can break into somebody's Microsoft 365 account, I don't have access to just their email. I have access to all their files. I have access mm-hmm. to uh to to their to their Teams accounts. So I can send messages as them. W- once you're in there, you're in there, but there's still the assumption of security, right? Still the mm-hmm. assumption that mm-hmm. this that this person is is the real person I'm talking to because like he said, it is everybody assumes it's vetted. It all starts with an email that can be sent by anybody. This is why email still stinks, right? It's it's the only <laughs> service in the world where anybody can send you something. <laughs> I, I, I think it's interesting that 3% of the Google Drive links are malicious. That was, I think that's that's stunning. That's a lot. I mean, if 3% of the files yeah. on your computer were malicious, you'd be terrified. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And he talks about two layers, the tech and the people, and he really views users as a layer of security. And that's that's great. I think that's a, a good way to look at it. Uh, you know, I yeah. often say, if I was CISO or, you know, security awareness, whatever, 
person in in a company, that would be the first thing I'd tell everybody is, you know, you're all part of my security team now. If you see something, right. say something. And I expect that you guys are going to uh, not- notice these things when they come in. I'm also ex- expecting that sometimes you're going to fall for it and that's okay. Just, you know, don't, don't be afraid. Don't be embarrassed. Let's just get it fixed. Yeah. You know, not long after Gil and I had this conversation, uh, I noticed on our own uh, Slack channel at the CyberWire, uh, one of my colleagues popped up with a second identification, like a, a, a different version of the same person than I was used to seeing. Huh. And I th- and it caught my attention, and and I reached out to this person on their original <laughs> account, a private message, and said, "I just want to check to make sure this is you," you know. And the person responded and said, "Yes, yes, that was me. I, you know, I accidentally logged in using a different device, and and so on and so forth. It was just a, it was an error on my part, but and thank you for checking." Right. Right. So, I mean, I don't mean to toot my own horn here or anything, but I, having had the conversation with Gil, I think, put me in that frame of mind to be extra vigilant about this sort of thing. And, uh, and I'm glad I was. It turned out to be nothing, but right. it was better that I asked than not. So well, I'd th- say to everybody out there, it's, it's that old, uh, if you see something, say something thing, That's right. right. And that's why we do yeah. this podcast, isn't it, Dave? <laughs> that's right. All right. Well, our thanks to Gil Friedrich from Avanon for joining us. We do appreciate him taking the time. That is our show. We want to thank all of you for listening. And we want to thank the Johns Hopkins University Information Security Institute for their participation. You can learn more at isi.jhu.edu. The Hacking Humans podcast is proudly produced in Maryland at the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our senior producer is Jennifer Iben. Our executive editor is Peter Kilpie. I'm Dave Bittner. And I'm Joe Kerrigan. Thanks for listening. 